want to pray. I believe the Lord has given me a word. And the title of the message, really didn't have one in the first service, but the title is Same God, Different People. Same God, Different People. I was thinking of another title is Better for the Donkey to Die and Let the Man Live. That will make sense in a little bit, but that's not the message title. So, Father, thank you. Lord, thank you. Lord, you are in love with us. And you like us. And that's incredible. You have pursued us all year long. Up until this very moment. And it's not even just for us, but it's for others. It's that our lives would be used for your glory. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to believe you are the same God. Lord, I pray, God, you take the little bit I have and multiply it, and I pray for an anointing. I pray, Father, that you would do something supernatural that we can look back and say it was God. God, we need you desperately in this time that we're living in. Lord, I thank you that This is not a social club. I thank you that we are the church, the church of the living God. So, Father, I pray now that you would take over my mouth and my mind. Use it for your glory. Lord, my preaching is good for nothing. We need your anointing now. So we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bible, to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and then later, Joshua chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so stay with me. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. It says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. He led them to Balah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who's enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ohio walked in front of the ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Castanets, I looked it up, it's actually like uh, clackers. Um, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and studied the ark of God. <clears throat> then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him dead because of this, so Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. And then King David was told, 
the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. And yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. This story is actually repeated in 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 15. I want to encourage you to read that on your own church uh, because it goes into further detail about what happened there. There are two commands in the Bible that are... Thank you. There are two commands in the Bible that are very difficult. I I think one more than another. One is very difficult for myself. Um, The Bible tells us not to grieve, excuse me, the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a person. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has feelings. And, And so I know that I don't know a day that goes by, even if I'm by myself, which I don't know if that ever happens, but uh, by myself uh, the entire day. And uh, my, my motivation of my heart, my, my thoughts, my actions, my reactions, there's something that we do. Uh, Holy Spirit's very sensitive. Remember in the New Testament, it's represented as a dove. A dove will fly away at the moment uh, a voice is raised or <clears throat> anything that would trigger it. It's going to fly away. And so do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then it also says do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible says do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. You have to bear with me. We've been sick all week, <clears throat> my family and I, and I hear other people coughing over here too. So, um, it's been a rough week. For, how many people have been sick this week? Just show of hands. It's been a rough week for a lot of people. But um, do not quench. Do not grieve. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do, do not just put the Holy Spirit in a box and say, this is the way I was raised. This is the tradition I grew up in. Um, this is what I saw all around me. And so the Holy Spirit can only move a certain way. Now, with that said, I also want to say that there is one way we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit <clears throat> manifests His presence in our lives. God desires to dwell inside of us as believers, right? But He also desires to dwell in places. David here was bringing the ark of God to a place. What do I mean by that? The omnipresence of God is everywhere. God is at your workplace, 
even if it doesn't feel like it. <clears throat> God is in your schools, young people, on college campuses. Uh, God, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. If I keep coughing, someone going to bring food? <laughs> incredible. <clears throat> Thanks, Joey. It'll take me too long to eat that. Um, and, and so God is, is everywhere. He, he is in your home. He's in this church building. But there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Those are two different things. The manifest presence of God is when we are aware and he shows up. How many of you know you've been to some place and it could be in your house, it can be in your car. You know God showed up. And it doesn't mean that he wasn't there in the first place, but he manifests his presence. Uh, the manifest presence of God is when God's peace and, and joy and life and change, life change and power is present. When it was the real thing, I love in, in chapter 6 here, originally David tries to move the ark of God, which is the presence of God, and he tries to move it in a way that wasn't prescribed by God himself. And we see what happens. He gets all the instruments. He gets people to sing. He gets the worship team together. In, in Chronicles, it says he tried with all his might, actually. He worshipped with all his might. He was trying to work up so much that maybe God would show up if I, if I do these things. And it, he didn't show up. Actually, someone died, which we'll talk about in a moment. But what happens is that when it's the real thing, they couldn't even take six steps without sacrificing to the Lord. When God shows up, we know it. Jesus said that unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you cannot be his disciple. Now, he wasn't talking about his literal body or blood. He was talking about his body in the sense of giving himself away, being broken for the needs of others. And his blood was a, was, was a type of sacrifice, as he was talking about. And in that chapter in the New Testament, it actually says, at this point, many deserted him. At this point, many walked away. David, the first time he's trying to move the ark of God, he's wearing fine linen. He's wearing what would be considered something that represents royalty. But if you notice the second time when the presence of God is being moved correctly... He takes off the fine linen, and he wears a linen ephod. He wears a, a priestly garment. And this doesn't mean that he was um, nude. Some people th think it, it, you will get into McCall and what she said and what she meant when he said vulgar and all those other things. But he was in essence saying, I lay down my crown. I lay down every title. I lay it all down just to, to be an ordinary servant before you, Lord. I would, I would rather be known as a doorkeeper in the house of God, David said. He said, I would rather be close to you. I don't need my, my, my pretense and my pomp. I don't, I don't need all of that stuff that makes me look puffed up with a title. He says, I, I just rather lay it down. Saul was a lot different. Saul would actually sin to try to keep the crown. The Bible tells us there are people that act religious but deny the power that can make them godly. David was acting religious in the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 6. He said, let's strike up the band, let's get the worship team together, let's, let's do this and let's get a new cart, a new way to move the presence of God, a new way we can get God to show up. And churches, if you, if you look at live streams all around our country, they look very similar. Most churches dress alike, act alike, worship teams sing some, all, almost all the same songs, and, and some of the songs are good, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but many of them, they, they sing for exactly 25 minutes and 15 seconds, 
They have all the correct lighting. They hire a professional and spend millions of dollars in lighting systems, yet probably half, if not even close to a quarter of that on discipleship. Or feeding the poor. We preach for exactly 30 minutes, and then the buzzer goes off. We get people comfortable, and I'm not, I, I like the cafe, so if you work in the cafe, this is not against the cafe. We, we're having it at the young adult meeting uh, on Friday. But there's churches that, you know, they, I thank God for our signs that say only water in the sanctuary, because um, it, there's churches, you've got to understand, that people are coming in, their hands are stuffed, they can't even lift them to worship God. They're stuffed with their bagel and their coffee and they're spectating and they're watching the worship team. They're watching people uh, do what they're called to do when they're supposed to come in together. I was convicted this week because I thought, you know, if I just read and pray with my children, everything will be okay. We need more than that. We need the presence of God. We need it in our homes. We, we, we need it in every ministry. Uh, Obed-Edom's household was blessed because the presence of God was there. The Bible says him and his household because God's presence was in his house. And, and believe me, beloved, we can grieve and we can quench the Holy Spirit. That's not just ministry terms. That's our house terms. We can put the Holy Spirit in a box in our house. We can grieve the Holy Spirit and how, how we treat one another. But we need the presence of God. We, we need more than just trying to figure out things on a run sheet for ministry or if I just read and pray every day with my kids, everything will just be okay. We need something greater and deeper than that. Every ministry in the church needs the presence of God. Every time the men meet, they need the presence of God, young adults or youth or children. Every time a nursery worker steps into that nursery, the presence of God needs to be in that nursery. Every greeter and every usher and every classroom our information table, our worship team, our preaching, our staff meetings. Everything needs the presence of God. We, we need something so much deeper than just showing up and saying we can figure this out in, in our mind. We can figure this out with our, our, our scheme or our strategy. Our confidence is not in our talents, our abilities, or even the giftings that God has given to us. It's the presence of God that changes people. It's the presence of God where fear is wiped away. It's the presence of God where, where sin is exposed and people repent and lives are changed and marriages are restored. It's the presence of God in your home, sir, that you, you would want and seek after the presence of God, that you would worship the Lord, even if you can't sing, put a song on then. And you open up the word of God, but you begin to pray and say, God, this is your home. What's so interesting in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is that someone had to die first before they took seriously the presence of God. I asked myself this question this week. I said, does someone have to die spiritually in my family before I take the presence of God seriously in my home? What does it take to wake us up? Unfortunately, it took this man's life who was following orders from a leader and so I asked myself another question this week. And, and, and I mean it. These are the questions I asked myself this week. I said, am I willing to try something that may be a new cart and in the process willing to hurt somebody? We have to ask ourselves, beloved, these questions. Men, you are a pastor in your home. You are the leader of your home. You and your wife are equal value in God's eyes, but you do have different roles. 
And if there's not a man in the home, then, then ma'am, God will be father in your home. God will give you what you need to lead your home. In 1 Chronicles 15, 12, David said, you are the leaders of the, Le- the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all the fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. This is a very powerful verse. God is saying, don't, don't take the presence of God lightly. If you're going to try to see a move of God, we want the, the presence of God in our homes and in our ministries and in our church and in Grace Point and every area of the church and even outside the church when we do uh, ministry. We want the presence of God when you go to work and you're in your cubicle, you're in a classroom, whatever you may be doing. You want the presence of God. He's saying, take it seriously. It's not just Sunday that we purify ourselves for. He's saying, live live a surrendered life, live an honest life. Pray the prayer that says, God, search my heart, search my mind. Ask yourself another question, what has my heart? What has our hearts? Does, Does ministry have our hearts? Does drivenness have our hearts? What an opportunity to, to lay it down and, and, and leave it and go into a new year without having these things gripping our hearts. Sometimes children are in the wrong place in our hearts. Jesus still needs to be first place in every season. Money or approval of people. David said, don't take your spirit from me. Now we know as New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit isn't flying away and coming back on a, on a, on a better day. Thank God he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But what David was saying is, I'd rather be close. I'd rather be close. I said it before. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He would rather be a doorkeeper. He would rather have no title whatsoever and be close to God. I'm pretty sure there probably came a season in his life he had everything. He worked hard. He, God had elevated him to a certain level. He, he, he's a king. He's a leader. He's a warrior. He's a commander. He's, he's what, he met his dreams. Young adults that are in the room, it's like, you know, you, you have this plan and God is elevating you and you're getting the promotion and you're getting the house and you're getting married and children are coming, all these different things. But there came a time in his life where he said, the one thing I don't want to miss is the presence of God. I want to be close to the presence of God. He probably laid on that palace floor after failure and said, after everything, I'd rather just be with Jesus. I'd rather be close to God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Thank God, as New Testament believers, the presence goes with us. In 1 Chronicles 15, 13, because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. What humility and admittance to say, God, how do we move it? How do we see God show up? How do we see God show up in our homes? How do we see God show up in our, the ministries that we serve in? How do we see him show up? Is it, I, I just get this speaker, and if I, if I just get this song, and if I just put those two together, automatically something's going to happen. If we just play the right song at home or God showed up once when I was dressed this way or doing this, so now I need to do it again. Or So how as Christians does the manifest presence of God come? It comes as we live a surrendered life to God. A life of worship. And not just singing, but a, a life of worship, a life of living in awe and reverence of God, a life that says, God, everything's yours, everything, everything, everything. No part dark, and every part is yours. You have complete access into all of my heart, 
and to all of my mind. Nothing is off limits, God. Every plan, every future, all my future, my past is yours. Everything, God. Everything. As we worship him in spirit and truth and honesty and desperation, in 1 Chronicles 15, 2, David commanded, no one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. And in verse 15, it says, the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed. Now, the Levites are the ones who got the chance to usher the presence of God. The, the Levites are the people that took God seriously, so seriously that there was a point in the temple where they were messing up with worship. And so some of the Levites speared to death some of the people that were in the temple messing up. And I said in the first service, we're not going to do that to anyone that... It's messing up. But they took it seriously. And a Levite was a priest, and we are a royal priesthood, the Bible says, as a New Testament believer. Which means we carry the presence of God, and as we fast and as we pray, as Pastor Dan talked about fasting and praying on Tuesday, we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We more become more sensitive of His presence and awareness of His presence. Psalm 16, 8 says, I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand. Now, how does the psalmist know he's at his right hand? Because he set the Lord before him. How do you set the Lord? It's like setting a table. You go into your, into your dining room and you, you go and you make an effort and you take certain things out and you put it on the table. You set the Lord before you. Before uh, smartphone, I remember uh, being a young believer and I would write down verses on post-its and I'd keep them in my pocket. And I was a school teacher. And I would walk around throughout the day and I would just take it out and read it. And I would take it out and read it because I wanted to abide in the Lord. I, I wanted to be closer. I wanted to set him before me. And it's a practice. It's a discipline that we do. We set him before us. Psalm 46.10, a lot of you know this verse. He says, be still and know that I am God. We slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Isaiah 43, 19, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in dry wastelands. See, God desires to do something new, but it's not done with a new cart. In essence, what he's really saying is he's doing the same thing with just with new people. This Christianity is not something that's mysterious. We're going to get to in a moment how we actually live out the Christian life, how, how we have the power to do what God's called us to do. But he wants to do something new in you. He doesn't want to make up something new. We don't have to try to recreate ministry. We don't have to try to recreate the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is always very simple. It's discipleship and evangelism. And now, i got to tell you, if that's too boring for you, then I would encourage you to really take serious the things of God. Because it's really, it's not getting any flashier than that. It's going to be discipleship and evangelism until the Lord comes. McCall, David's wife, she was upset what she saw in her husband. The Bible tells us that McCall, at verse 23 in chapter 6, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. See, David and McCall are two totally different pictures here. McCall's father, Saul, was, was about his image. It was about being polished. It was about his title. It was about the crown. 
having a good reputation is a good thing, but his reputation was about himself. He had an agenda attached to it. David was vulnerable. He came into town once he realized, oh God, there's no new way to move your presence. It's what you prescribe. Put it on the Levite's shoulders. Walk. Um, there was a joy in his heart. There was a shout of joy in his life and in his heart. When he finally was able to rest and lay down and say, God, I don't have to try to figure this out. I don't have to try to do something for you. It's you who wants to do something for me. And so he came into town not wearing his fine linen anymore. He was wearing the linen ephod. It was kind of like a dress that would go over your shoulders. It, was, it wasn't anything fancy. And so his, McCall over here is really disgusted by it. How distinguished the king of Israel looked. In other words, why don't you look polished? A king's not supposed to act that way. David can care less. David was vulnerable before the Lord. He, he was exposed before the, before the Lord saying, God, whatever you want, take it. Better a doorkeeper in the house of God. And so God was able to produce life inside of David's life that would extend to generations and still future generations to come. And so God was able to use him. But McCall, because of the closed door, because of the lack of vulnerability, because of the lack of understanding her desperate need for the presence of God, would remain childless, which is a type of person, unfortunately, that God does not produce life through because they're unwilling to let God in the way he wants to move. Isaiah 42.3 says, God will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Praise God for that. Thank God that whether you're in this room and you may be on fire for the Lord or or you may feel like that flickering candle that looks like it's going to go out, seems like it's going to go out, but God says, I don't put it out. I don't put it out. That's not my business. That's not my my agenda, that's not my plan, is to put it out. My, my plan is to take that flickering candle and turn it into a roaring flame. My plan is to produce something inside of you that you may have thought was dead for many, many years, but to produce life. But before we get there, and stay with me, church, I want to give a warning to those that are not in the church. And whether you're streaming online, whether you're here today, You may come across this. You may be searching on YouTube. You may be searching somewhere for something. And you may come across this very moment. I want to give a warning to those that are trying to silence the church. The Bible tells us of a man named Daniel. And Daniel had public faith and private faith. He didn't just hide somewhere. Matter of fact, they threatened to take his life if he hid his faith. But he said, I refuse to and I will continue to pray to my God publicly. He wasn't hiding it in a corner. And because of that, a group of people got him into trouble and they they threw him into a den of lions. The the, the goal was that these lions would be trained and and tamed enough to be able to destroy Daniel's life. But God supernaturally protected Daniel. And because of that supernatural protection, God rescued him out of there. But then the Bible goes on to say those same people that were trying to silence the man of God, they were trying to silence the person from praying, silence the person from seeking God and trusting God and coming after God. Well, that person, those people, along with their wives and their children, were then thrown into the lion's den. See, I want to give you a warning to those that are outside the church that think you can silence the church. Or maybe you're here today, and and you're a husband to a wife, and your wife loves the Lord, and you try to silence her. Let me give you a warning. The lion that you think is on your side will devour you. The same for the church. If we think we can tame the lion or tame sin, it never works. 
But I also want to say this, church. Lions don't belong in cages. You got to let them loose. You got to let the lion loose that lives inside of you. There is a lion that lives inside of you, church. If you are a Christian in this room, you've surrendered your life to Jesus. God Almighty lives inside of you. Now, there's opportunity for those that I give the warning to to repent. But I also want you to know the devil doesn't want us to know who lives inside of us. The enemy hates it when he sees the people of God rise up and believe and understand who lives inside of us. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted from here, said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, and a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks. That's God's plan for us, to to plant us that we're unshakable and unmovable as we're found in Christ, that we would be a display for his glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. That's what God wants to do through your life and through my life. He wants to take our lives, and he sees the ruins all around Rockland County. And it could be the most beautiful houses, but he sees the ruins inside. He sees the families falling apart. He sees the heartbreak and the hurt. He sees the addictions. And he says, I want to use my people. I want to use my people to go and repair. I want to use my people to rebuild. I want to use my people, like in Jeremiah says, to uproot and destroy and to overthrow, but to plant, to plant the truth into the hearts of men and women and children. That God wants to use you that way. So then how? You don't have to turn there, but I want to read some verses to you in Ezekiel 47. Verse 1, in my vision, this is Ezekiel, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. In other words, there's a picture of heaven and waters coming out of the door. There's this water coming from heaven. And in verse 7, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Here we have a river. We have life. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea, where life is not supposed to happen. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure, and there will be swarms of living things wherever the waters of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows, wherever the water from God flows, wherever the water from the temple flows, that there is life. Life, And then the Bible says fish of every kind. So uh, Grace Point Gospel Fellowship, I hope you're ready in 2024 for fish of every kind. Fish that don't dress like you. Fish that don't look like you. Fish that are confused out of their mind. Fish that can't even stay awake. Like there are young people that I, I see sometimes in services and they're just nodding off and they can't even stay awake. That may be you right now. I hope you're convicted. And so fish of all kinds. Fish of all kinds, and they will have life. They will have life, not because they pushed the new cart, not because they figured out how to do church, not because they hit the right Christian songs or found the right podcast. It's because the water from the temple touches them. But the marshes and the swamps will not be purified. They will 
be salty. In other words, it, if you want to be reached, be reached. You'll be reached. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. And there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. Thank God for that. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not old, but um, there are some people in this room, you are older. And I got to tell you that I hope and pray with all my heart that when I'm older, God willing, I can read that verse and say every month there'll be a new crop, every month new fruit, no crustiness, no bitterness. But in, in our old age that we would be able to praise God and worship God and lift your hands and you'll still have a word for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Every month, every month, they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That's what God says. He says he will use your life to feed others. He will use your life to nourish them, to strengthen them spiritually. The broken and the hurting when they come in and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what in the world they just did the last few years making some horrible decisions. But the Bible says that he will use your life for healing. He will use the testimony that he's done in your life. You'll be able to comfort others because of the comfort that God gives to you. But how? The water that flows from the temple. Joshua 15, if you can turn there, starting at verse 16. Joshua 15, verse 16. Here's a picture of the church. Caleb. Caleb is in here. He has a daughter named Axis. So Caleb's the father, Axis is the daughter, and Caleb says if there's anyone who will win a victory, anyone who will win a battle, sound familiar? Someone won a victory on the cross, anyone who would win a battle, and if they win the battle, you get my daughter Axis. And so this guy, Othniel, he rises up, and he wins a battle, and he fights a battle, and he's victorious, and so Caleb, who's a representation of the father, says, okay, I'm giving you my bride, the bride of Christ. And so Axis asks... For a field. She urged Othniel, hey, urge your dad to ask for a field. And she gets a field, but it's dry. She gets something from God. And when we come into the family of God, we begin to ask God for things. We begin to ask him to use our lives and, and, and to bring testimony to his name. We may not use those exact words, but in other words, what you're saying is, God, glorify your name through my life. I no longer do the things I used to do. I don't go to the places I used to go to, but now, God, glorify your name. And so she gets a field, but then she's riding a donkey, and she gets off the donkey, and her father sees her and says, what's the matter? And she said, give me another gift, a gift. You have already given me land, but now please give me springs of water too. And here's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It says, listen, you've given me land, but nothing grows without the water. Actually, in Zechariah 10.1, it says, ask the Lord for rain in the spring, for he makes the storm clouds, and he will send showers of rain, so every field becomes a lush pasture. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, all of them this time. It was different for the first service. And so, he's asking for something. She's asking for something. She says, you've given me land, God. I, I know I'm a believer. I, I know I belong in this family. I know you've given me a husband. I know Jesus is, is, my, is my husband. I know I'm the bride of Christ. But this land won't grow unless you send the water. Unless you send the rain. Jesus was sitting with a woman at the well that was going there and noontime because she was trying to hide from everyone else because of the life she was living and the shame and so on. And Jesus is having a conversation with her. He says, do you know the gift I would give you if you know who you're talking to? The gift. Just like Axel got a gift. 
There's a gift that God wants to give to us. Jesus said, I would give you living water. Living water. He said it would be a fresh, bubbling spring. It wouldn't be a a, a stagnant water. It's not water from 20 years ago from a good service. It's living water. It's a constant flow. It's a flow that he wants to give to you, church. He wants to give to me every day. There's a song that says, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I have a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me this life abundantly. I have a river of life. You have a river of life that God wants to fill, fresh, bubbling, overflowing into this community, into your families, into the lobby, into every single ministry. You think God wants to look down and I know he allows us to suffer through seasons, but there's a difference between hurting ourselves and suffering. You think he wants to look down on his church and say, oh man, Rockland County, people are going to hell every day, all the time. I got that that church over there by the highway though, you know, I don't want to help them. I don't want to empower them. He looks down and says, I want to pour out my spirit on that church. I want to pour out my spirit in every home, every believer's life, and use them mightily. I hope in 2024, and I got to tell you, Pastor Daniel knows me. This is not a numbers thing. If we were filled with the Holy Ghost, we were empowered by the Holy Spirit, we'd probably have to have four services on a Sunday. Because we would be dragging people here. Because we have a river of life flowing out of us. I told my children this week, and just for context so you know, my children are ages from nine to one. But I told them, I said, you are going to grow up in the darkest time in our country's history. But I also told them it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, a great opportunity to be a light and a testimony. Acts chapter 2 talks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit for our children. It says it, it, it's for the believers then. It was, it was for the children and those far off. We're the far off, but it was for the children too. They need it, but we need it. We don't give what we don't have. We can't teach them what we haven't experienced. If not, it's just words. But when we encounter the living God, when we encounter the, the, the living water, God is able to do things through our lives that we can never imagine. Take us places we didn't think we can ever go. Our whole value system changes. Our plans change. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to live out Isaiah 61. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be like the church in Acts chapter 4. Much of the church today is afraid to speak. I shared in the first service, this wasn't a, a Christian video. Someone was on UPenn's campus and they were asking students from UPenn and asking people in the street of Philly. Amazing the difference between the answers. But the, peop- the, the students in UPenn, almost every single student at UPenn either said yes or I'm not going to answer. It's too controversial. You want to know what the question was? Can men get pregnant? <laughs> Don't waste your money on foolish education. We need Acts chapter 4. They were threatened no longer to speak about Jesus. 
They were trying to be silenced. And so what they do, they went to a prayer meeting. They went to a prayer meeting together. And they prayed, God, give us boldness. You hear the threats? Give us boldness to keep preaching. Give us boldness to keep going forward. But it wasn't to, to destroy the people, the same people that were coming against them. They said, God, but stretch forth your hand and do miraculous signs and wonders for those same people. The heart of mercy. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have God's heart. We need it to be excited about the Lord's work. We need it to be the righteous who are as bold as lions. Not to be afraid to be identified with Jesus. There are times in my life where I wanted to say things and I didn't. I wanted to speak up and I didn't. Just recently, someone had come to the door to drop off a package and I didn't. I disobeyed the prompting of God. And it's not that we beat ourselves off, but we go back to that well. We go back and say, Holy Spirit, just give me the power, the boldness, everything I need, everything I need for my family, everything I need to be a husband, to be a father, to be a pastor, to be a minister, whatever you do. It's, it's going back and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. And, and, and it's not just, oh, 20 years ago I went to a service, I felt something, and, and I've been trying to ride that out. It's living water. It's life water. It's fresh. It's fresh. If you've been trying to figure out this Christian life and you're just wondering why in the world it, it, I can't move forward, I can't, I can't, it's impossible to live it in your strength. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for what's coming. I think all of us that are, are praying people know that our, our country is heading in the wrong direction and it will get darker, it will get harder. Pastor Daniel, I'm with you. I, I don't think that the doors of this church should ever close. I'm also, but I also want to say this, there may come a time where we have no choice because they may take you and Pastor Floyd and myself and the other pastors and we may be get hauled off to jail somewhere and then the doors may get barred closed and you know what, what happened? Every house, every house, every house with the presence of God, we need to get prepared. We need to get prepared. We can't try to get the presence of God with a new cart. It was, it was always simple. It was the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to see the manifest presence of God displayed through our lives to burn away everything that doesn't belong so others can have a light that shows them the way, the truth, and the life. Who is Jesus? I want, I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to read a hymn to you. This hymn, at least in here, dates back to 1957. It's called Be Filled with the Spirit. You need the fire of God, a burning, burning in your soul. Yield all completely to the one who cleansed and made you whole. You need to be endued with power coming from on high. He gives such boldness, courage, strength, and grace to testify. You need the precious love of God to fill and flood your heart until there is no room for carnal self to have a part. You need a real baptism with the Holy Ghost and fire. Be filled with the Spirit. Our Lord himself will fill you. Be filled with the Spirit. goes on to say it's his desire. Be filled with the Spirit. Have you not heard it is commanded in his word to be filled? To be filled with the Spirit. There's no new cart, folks. There's no new way to get the presence of God moving. 
He always said it's the Levites, it's the people that take God seriously, it's those that are hunger and thirst for his righteousness, they will be filled. In a moment, we're going to have an altar call, and I'm actually going to challenge everyone to respond who's a believer. I want to say this carefully. Because you don't want to be praying for a spirit to fill you if you're not a believer. That's dangerous. And so if you're not a believer and you're in this place, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You you may know about him. You may read his book. You may listen to the songs. You may have no clue about him. But if you're in this place or if you're online and, and you're not a believer, you're not born again Christian, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you have an opportunity to do that right now. I want to pray with you. The Bible makes it very clear. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And as Pastor Tim over at Times Square Church would like to say, you don't want to be a too late believer. Everyone will believe. But on this side of eternity, you have an opportunity to make sure that your eternity is secure in heaven. You're forgiven of your sin. And you have access to the power we're going to pray for. If you're in this room and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, all your sin wiped away, forgiven. Go into 2024, a new person, new creation in Christ Jesus. My wife's favorite verse. Raise your hand wherever you are, please. If that's you today. Is there anyone in this house that says, I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ? I don't know if anyone's raised their hand. It doesn't look like it, and that's okay. I'm going to trust that we're talking to the church now. Folks, Ezekiel 37 says this. There came a time where he had to stop talking to the bodies and talk to the wind. I can't do this. Pastor Daniel can't do this. Pastor Sadie, the worship team, no one can do this. The wind of God wants to move. The Holy Spirit is here. He wants to fill you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate from salvation. It is the power of God. The power of God is to be asked for. To ask for it. In a moment, when we have an altar call, the pastors, we're prepared to pray for everyone who responds. And we'll take as much time as we need. And so, I'm going to ask you, if you want the power of God, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit to respond, to come forward. And when you're here, don't, don't just stand there. You begin to pray. You begin to lift your hands. You begin to ask for God to fill you, to touch every part of your body, to give you power that you need. Or maybe you've been here and you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to have an experience or an encounter with the Lord 20 years ago and, and just keep talking about that. God wants to do something today. He wants to give us a fresh touch, fresh anointing, fresh eyes to see our family, fresh power. Young person that's in here, listen. If you're a believer, you're not going to make it in your schools. You're not going to make it on your college campus without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You won't. You won't. You won't have the power to stand up. When, when the professor is spewing lies and you want to and we've all been there we want to say something it won't come out we want to stand and our feet feel frozen God will give you the power if you ask for it this is your time this is the opportunity for those of you that have bosses that you've been waiting to speak to this is the year to go into to speak to them God will give you the power to do that 
parents, husbands, wives, power to treat each other correctly, the power to treat our kids right, the power, all of this, the power to witness. What is a witness? It's, it's not just having a one-on-one conversation, which really that's what the power is for, to tell people about Jesus, but it's also to live like Jesus. It's also to be a testimony. So, Father, I pray. Lord, this, the wind now has to come. Holy Spirit, come. I pray, God, that when the music starts, that we would lay down our new carts. There's nothing new. And we would just say, God, there's no other way this presence of God is going to flow through my lives except by your power. So I pray, God, for the church now to respond and for you to fill. God, let this be a moment that marks our lives forever, but not one that we look back on 20 years from now, one that starts a daily fire, one that we want filled every day. I ask this in Jesus' name. I challenge you, I encourage you. I, I beg you, really, to come. I, I say that because I, there's something in our hearts. We know what's coming to our country. We need this, folks. We need this. And, and so I encourage you, whether you're in the top of the balcony or on the floor, whether you've been in this church forever, it's your first day, you're a believer, come seek God for his power. Begin to pray.